0: Amen. A reminder that God, the heart of God, felt what His Son experienced. We have spoken, if you will turn to John 20, we have spoken of the surprise of the arrest, the surprise of the trial, and the surprise of Golgotha last week. Let us finish our thoughts by thinking of the surprise of the resurrection. In chapter 20, you have uh, an excellent description of a number of surprises, and even spilling over into 21. The surprise of the resurrection was a dramatic growth point, a change point for the faith of the followers of Jesus. And that's really the heart of Easter. It was the turning point the change point, the growth point. And for most of us, faith takes a quantum leap when those kinds of dramatic and traumatic events happen in our lives. And though they might be discouraging at the time, if our hearts are fixed on him, they become means of propelling us to a new level of Of faith, and that's what's so exciting about the Christian life. And I have found that, even after walking with the Lord for for more than forty-five years, there are still growth points. They still come. They're traumatic, dramatic, dramatic experiences. But if we respond properly, as we're going to see. They propel us to a new kind of growth, a new level of belief and trust. One of the ways I know that uh, these disciples were all surprised is because there's so much running in this narrative. Have you ever seen that? Have you noticed that? Watch verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark. You know, all the other writers say it was morning. John says it was still dark. For Mary, it really was dark. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she, what class? What's the word? Ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said they've taken away the body, the Lord, out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb and they both, what's the word class? Ran together. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I have a feeling that John was younger, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was younger than Peter and he beat him there. Don't get in a foot race with most younger people. You're going to lose. Did you know that? You're going to lose. So they both ran together, and the other disciple, out, what's the word, class, ran, Peter, and came to the tomb first. Something was going on. Mary comes to the tomb and sees the the stone moved, and she runs back. She's that's how I know she was surprised, and she was excited. She ran. She says to Peter and John, "You're not going to believe what's happened." The stone's gone. I don't know. And they ran to see. (laughs) Somebody told you your home had just broken into and everything was missing. You'd probably run to find out what it was and see if you can catch the guy. But instead of taking something, they left a million dollars in cash in there. You'd run from the house again, wouldn't you? Something had happened in that tomb, and they were running out of sheer excitement and then out of joy. Each of us respond differently, however, to the surprises of these growth events in our lives. Let's check five people and see how they responded to the dramatic and traumatic experience of the tomb. Well, there's John, first of all. Now, we know some things about John. Verse 2, he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. That is a self-description. Now, he brings to the tomb a willing faith. I, I think he's a willing faith because out of all the people in the New Testament who came to the tomb, only John actually leaves the empty tomb with greater faith immediately than anybody else. He already believed. He was so willing. He had such a simple trusting faith. Jesus had loved him. He was a young man. Later Jesus to say, "Um, if I want this disciple, John, to live in chapter 21 until I come again, what is that to thee? As if to pick on the youngest one and say, if he lives the longest time and I want to do that, that's nobody's business but mine. So here is John, and he is the one whom Jesus loves. I like John. I've always loved John. When you read John's, uh, John's epistles, you know what one of the themes of his epistles, there's the theme of light and there's a theme of life, but in John's epistles, what's one of the great themes, class? You know? Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. John was the apostle of love. He was the loving kind, and he had a willing faith. It was not hard for him to believe. It was not hard for him. There was no struggle much here. I don't mean that John was simple. He was ignorant. No, John was a very intelligent man. He was just nature differently. And and that's the way with some of us in this room. We we come to the Easter event and uh, we we think, uh, hmm, it's not hard for me to believe. Why do some people struggle with that? Why do some people have a hard time with that? because it's so simple for us to believe. It's our nature to trust. It's our nature to believe. There are a variety of factors. There is a variety of factors that influence that, but John was there. Some of us are just like that. Don't put them down. Don't put them down because they don't struggle, and if you don't struggle, don't put the the one down who does struggle. Some of us are like John. We have a willing faith. We see the tomb. Boy, bang, I don't know how it's going to happen. I have a feeling that John never understood all the consequences, but he was one of those persons who can believe without knowing where the belief is going to take him. See, he didn't have to know all the facts. He was willing to come to the tomb and believe and then let it all work out. That's sometimes hard for some of us to believe and then just sit back and let God work it out. But that's John. That's John. And some of us here have the same kind of faith. We're just sitting back and waiting on God to unfold things and see where we go from here. And it's all right if we don't understand. Now, honor that kind of person. That's one of the kinds of of witnesses that came. He was surprised. Oh, I don't think John's surprise was any less than Peter's. But he was so willing, and it was so easy for him to believe. We see that the scripture says clearly, when you read this, that that disciple believed. He went away. The second person here is Mary. We call her Mary Magdalene. Mary of Magdala. In verse 11, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And then two angels sitting in white, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. That's her surprise. He's gone. I don't know where he is. Oh, oh, oh. Who would have stolen his body? Now, these are his friends. You might think the enemies would have stolen his body, but these were his friends. And Mary, when she had said this, turned around in verse 14. And saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposing him to be the gardener. Now, we don't know for sure. Is it because the resurrected body of Jesus is enough like his earthly physical body that uh, they could sometimes identify him and enough different from his earthly physical body they sometimes couldn't identify him? Or was her grief so deep and so dark she really couldn't see through the veil of tears? I mean, I've had that happen to me. People said, uh, you know, I was so grief-stricken, I didn't know who came to see me that night. And I say, yes, I was there. Oh, you were? (laughs) And Mary thought it was the gardener. She said, they've taken his body away, and I don't know where they have laid him. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary had not come believing. She had come back for a wake. She had come back in sorrow and grief. Hers was not a willing faith like John's. Hers was a sorrowing faith. She was overcome with grief, overcome with sorrow. Now here's the woman who had been touched by Jesus. He met her and cast seven devils out of her. Thud, gone. She was released. (laughs) The burden was gone. Have you ever had a heavy, heavy weight or a heavy, heavy problem on you and suddenly somebody was able to lift it? You needed $1,000 to make your house payment and somebody walked up with a check and suddenly the burden was gone? Can you multiply that about seven times over and understand how Mary must have felt towards Jesus? I will never, never, ever forget. He took the seven demons out of me. And out of joy, sheer appreciation, out of joy of being released and appreciation for releasing her, she comes back to the tomb and says, I just want to tend to his body. Will you let me tend to his body? And then when the scripture says in verse 16, when Jesus said to her, Mary, boy, there's nothing like a name, is there? Nothing like a name. It's altogether different when somebody walks up to me and says, How are you today? Boy, I've been sure thinking about you. Now, let's see. What was your name again? You have. You've really been thinking about me. Well, I appreciate it. My name's Elvis. (laughs) But boy, when somebody walks up and says, Eddie, how you doing? Calls your name. That's worth a lot, isn't it, Hank? That's worth a lot, a name. Jesus said Mary. Nobody could say Mary like Jesus. I've tried different ways to say it. Mary. 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 Mary, think of all the ways he might have said Mary. Instantly she knew it was Jesus and she called him by the revered term Rabboni. Teacher, rabbi, master. Mary's was a sorrowing faith. He's gone. Where have you put him? Let me know. I want to tend his body. I want to take care of him. Oh, no, no, no. He's he's not gone. I'm right here, Mary. I'm right here. Are some of you here today on this Easter morning so overcome with grief? Tragedy does not pick its times. Sorrow doesn't know any season. It violates the best and the worst of times. If somebody here like Mary just overcome with grief... You don't want to know any more about God. Why did God let your mother get cancer? Why did God let this happen to your marriage? Why did God permit this to happen to your son? Why did God permit this? And like Mary, you're so drowned in your sorrow, it's hard for you to believe. You cannot see through the veil. Easter is designed for you. And Mary says to you, don't give up. Keep looking for him. Keep searching for him. He will speak your name to you. In his book, Surprised by Joy, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, Surprised by Joy, he tells of losing his mother. He said he was not religious, he didn't come from a religious family. Oh, he knew the catechism and some of the rules of worship, but he didn't really know God. He just Remember that if you prayed and asked for something, God will give it to you. So his mother was sick. Doctors were running around the house. He describes it. And as a little boy, he just said, God, uh, let my mother live. And his mother died. And, and then he thought, well, there'd be another miracle. Lord, bring her back. And she didn't come back. And it left him in a confused state. He said, my life was never the same again. My relationship with my father was never the same again. Sorrow left a blight, he says, on my life. And for the rest of his life, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, he, he, he grappled with the idea of pain and sorrow and grief and death. That's Mary. A, a sorrowing faith and if you bring that uh, listen I've got some hope for you this morning Jesus is standing right outside the empty tomb and he's saying your name and he's beckoning you to believe him just like Mary did well there's a third one here and that is the disciples <laughs> verse 19 says or verse 18 says that Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her in the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in the midst. Now, now, now imagine this here. The disciples were locked in fear in a room. And Mary, thinking Jesus' body had been stolen, comes back and tells them that she's had an encounter with Jesus and he's alive pastor in Dallas last year said that he was driving to church early Easter morning and he went by this house. The lawn was beautifully cut and he saw a dog grabbing something and hiding and running back and forth. So he decided he would just pull over the car and stop and watch. And here the parents had evidently hidden Easter eggs all over the front yard for the children. And they were, all, they were going to get up on Easter morning and, and the symbol of life, the egg, they were going to go looking for Easter eggs. And uh, the dog was taking all of the eggs and had dumped them over in a, behind a bush. Boy, were the children going to be surprised when they got up. And this dog, the tooth marks were in every hard-boiled egg, all the chocolate eggs, and they were gone. But even more surprised would be the parents who put them there. I wonder where they were. And he said, maybe I should get out and go tell them that that the dog's taking all the eggs and the eggs are gone (laughs) and they're not there and they better do something. And he thought, well, I think I'll make it a more exciting Easter morning for them and just let them discover what they can discover. I've got to get on to church. But he said, I would like to have been back there watching When the parents went out and the children started looking and looking and looking and they couldn't ever find the eggs. (laughs) That was the way Mary was when she came back to the disciples. She's not going to believe. I thought they'd stolen his body. I thought he was gone. They were gone. And suddenly there he was standing beside me. I I, I tried to put myself this week in the minds and the hearts of the disciples, hiding in that room, getting that news. Now think about that. You what, Mary? Come on, Mary. What, what, what happened? He spoke to you, but he was dead. I saw him die. He was on the cross. No, there I saw him alive. I thought it was the gardener, and he called my name, Mary. He is alive. Now, what do you do when you are locked in a room in fear? Because theirs was a fearing faith. We we kind of thought we had something going here, but now he's gone. And and the the, the authorities are going to get us, and, and we've got to hide. Let's protect ourselves. Let's take care of ourselves. You know, that's where a lot of us are. You know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to get too radical about this. I believe in Easter, and I think that's great, but now, now, now we've got to be careful because, you know, if you go out on a limb, people will think you're crazy or, or, or they'll, they'll mock you or they'll isolate you or they'll alienate you or they'll reject you. One thing I admired so much about Troy and Abner Wright when they lost little Abner... Was that Abner told the TV station he 'd be glad to give them an interview if they wouldn 't cut out what he said, and if you some of you saw that, is that the way it was some of you saw that he gave honor and glory to Christ, and people said, How can you do that? How can you because he wasn't afraid And the disciples were all hunched together, congregating in the room for What's the word? Fear of the Jews. Hiding, believing, but their fear overwhelmed their belief so that they missed the excitement of seeing the empty tomb. Hiding in that room. And as long as fear dominates your faith, there's so much that God has for you that you will miss out on. So much God has for me that I will miss out on if my faith is limited by my fear. I'm a risk taker. I enjoy taking risks. I mess up taking risks. I make mistakes taking risks. But I'm not afraid to take some risks if God gets the glory out of them. And you got to be prepared to work with it, right, Brother Gary? you got to be prepared to, to work with a risk taker because sometimes he falls flat on his nose. But ultimately, God rewards the faith that overwhelms the fear, not the fear that overwhelms the faith. And the disciples were there hiding, confused, frustrated, trapped, in bondage, just where some of us are this morning. There's a fourth witness who was surprised here, and that's Thomas. The Bible says that uh, something about the spiritual body of Jesus in verse 19 was that he didn't have to open the doors. He was above and beyond the molecular structure of the door. And he just came through the door and stood in the midst and said, peace be with you, in verse 19. And in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. It's almost like instinctively Being a man, a perfect man, Jesus knew what they needed to overcome their fear. So he showed them his hands and his side. Those marks on the body of Jesus were the evidence and the proof. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That changed everything. They were able to respond then. The news was not enough. But when they saw Christ himself, they were glad. That was enough. That was enough. But Thomas, not Thomas. Thomas in verse 24 called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, put my hand into side, I will not believe. If John had a willing faith and Mary had a sorrowing faith and the disciples had a fearing faith, Thomas had a bargaining faith. boy, there are Thomases all over this building this morning. Now, Lord, I believe, but here are the terms. Now you do this, and I'll do that. If I if this, then that. If you do thus, then I'll do this. If you just help me through this crisis, then that. That's where Thomas was. Why can't we believe on the basis of the evidence? and the proof that we've got? What is it about our human personalities that makes it necessary for something dramatic or traumatic to happen to us before we can move to the next level of faith? Don't get stuck where you are. Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger to the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Don't bargain with God. You know what Easter says to me? Lay down your terms, courts. We bring our plans to God and say, here they are. Now, Lord, would you bless them? Would you, uh, here's my blueprint. I've got it all worked out. Now, now put your hand of blessing on my plans. That's way most of us do. And if you'll bless them, then I'll honor you. Rather than bringing the empty sheet of plans to God and saying, Lord, would you put down what you have for me? And, and, and then when you make out the, the, the blueprint, I'll follow it, whatever you ask. Thomas says, I will not believe. I just will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. One more time, he comes through the doors. He's not bound by space and stands and he answers, my Lord and my God. There's no evidence that he ever had to put his hands in the side or his hands into the hands of Jesus. Put his finger on those marks. He had given up. It took a dramatic and dramatic appearance of the risen Christ for him to make that leap from God I'll believe on these terms to my Lord and my God. What a step that was. But that's the step that connects us with the power to live every day above fear and above confusion and above loss and above the world and above death we've had to start mowing our lawn. Have you had to start mowing yours? Now, there are two things in the world that I've learned as a pastor that are the most cantankerous. One is a sound system. If the devil gets anywhere in the church, it's the sound system. But the second, if the devil ever gets in your home, he'll probably get in your lawnmower before he gets into your marriage. And always uh, the great temptation is in the spring when you're starting it for the first time. Well, we pulled and pulled and pulled. I pulled till I had done my exercise for the day. I'd had my aerobic exercise at the end of a string. <laughs> and when all else fails, you know, we men, I decided maybe I better look at the air filter. I pulled out the air filter and it was caked with grass and dust. And I didn't want to take the time to run down and buy a new one, so I took my steel brush and cleaned it all off. And then I put a, a, a vacuum on it to suck everything out of there, and I knocked the dust, and I cleaned it again, knocked the dust off, put it on, pulled and pulled and pulled, and I had my second day's walk at the end of the string. And my wife walks by and makes these nice little suggestions, set it in the sun, and it'll start. And then she walked on. That's all she said. Said <laughs> it in the sun. I waited a while. I went back and pulled and pulled and pulled again. Wouldn't start. Finally, I took out the spark plug. And I cleaned that baby. I got some steel wool and a little piece of sandpaper and very carefully sanded off the end and cleaned all. It was, just, it was caked got it all clean, put the spark plug back in and pulled and pulled and pulled again. And then I put it back into the garage so I wouldn't get any more advice about setting it in the sun. And as I was leaving, I looked and noticed that the wire was not put back on the plug. Now, who do you reckon did that? And then when I put the wire back on the plug and pulled it, it came to life. I had reconnected it to the source of power and there was energy and life coming out of it. You know, Thomas, he is alive but you're not connected to the source till you believe. Stop your bargaining and just trust him and see where God takes you. Amen? That's... What Easter is to do for us. But there's a last one, and that's good old Peter. I love Peter because Peter struggles for faith. He really struggles. Oh, I think he had, I think it was a growing faith from the time he saw the empty tomb. I don't think he came away believing. I think it took some time. Uh, Jesus uh, sees him in chapter 21. You remember uh, Simon Peter said in verse 3, I'm going fishing. They caught nothing. When morning came, Jesus stood, and Jesus said in verse 5, children, have you any food? They said, no. Cast the net on the right side, and you'll find some. They cast, and boy, they couldn't hold it all. What What a fisherman. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said, it is the Lord. Now notice who identified Jesus. It wasn't Peter. He was still struggling with his faith. It was the one disciple who believed when he came away from the tomb. Faith always helps to identify the object first. He said, it is Jesus. And Peter, when he heard that, plunged into the sea just like Peter. His personality hadn't changed even though he was trying to grow some faith. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught Went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And you know what? I think Jesus must have eaten with them. And that's so encouraging to me. We're going to get to eat in heaven. Amen? Those new bodies. Can you imagine fried fish and no cholesterol in heaven? Hmm. Fried flounder, fried scallops, fried oysters, fried red snapper, and no cholesterol. Jesus ate fish and bread. I am excited about going to heaven. You have all the benefits and none of the liabilities. There won't be any fat grams on the side of the package and no doctors will be open for business to test your cholesterol and make the fatal call. You won't believe what your numbers are. They're bad news. (laughs) But then in the process, Jesus builds his faith. Simon, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Simon, do you really love me? Feed my lambs. Do you really love me? I want you to go out and follow me. And poor old Peter, struggling to believe, finally comes to faith and you see it worked out in the book of Acts. Many of you are here struggling. I'm not going to put you down for struggling in your faith. There are a variety of factors that that cause that. Don't worry about your struggle. Keep on. Keep pointed towards Christ. Don't give up. It's never wrong to ask questions. He doesn't rebuke for asking, James 1 says. And don't let us put people down who struggle. Help them. Pray with them. Encourage them through the struggle as Jesus did. Jesus didn't come back with any scorching condemnation of Peter. Peter, I told you to watch out for the cock crowing. He didn't say that. There's not one record he said that. All there is is encouragement through the struggle. Come on, do you love me? Follow me. You love me? Follow me. You love me? Feed my lambs. You love me? Follow me. You see, you can't give faith to your children. They have to struggle through to believe for themselves. You can't give your faith to your neighbor. They have to struggle through it themselves. There are some things that we just have to grow through and plow through and God's patience must be matched by ours until the struggle is done. All the children, or a number of the children, I don't know if they were all, all the grandchildren were home last Easter and we Saturday afternoon before Easter set up Easter eggs all over the yard. I thought I had them hidden every stump. And when you got that many grandchildren, you think you've hidden 50 or 60 Easter eggs and chocolate eggs. You know, if you can't eat them, let somebody else have them. Amen? Pure chocolate. <clears throat> but anyway, they were looking all over the yard, and poor little Olman, he was too. He couldn't find any Easter eggs. So Papa helped him. And I started, because I knew where they were, because I'd planted them. <laughs> and so I started taking them around, getting the eggs for them. And suddenly he wasn't interested in the eggs I was getting for him. I thought, I'll help the kid out. He'll love me. I'll be Papa forever. I'll be his hero. Easter eggs. He sets the basket where he did not want me to get his eggs for him. That boy's got enough of, his, of, his, of the court's genes in him. He wanted to do it for himself, I guess. He, he didn't want me to get any more eggs ever gone. He wanted to go find them for himself. He wanted to follow his sisters around until he could find his own eggs. Really, it's true. Sometimes we just have to struggle through until we see Jesus clearly on the lake all by ourselves. You pray for your son as he struggles to get faith. Pray for your daughter as she struggles to, get, to come to, to a higher level of faith. Pray for your wife as she struggles to get to another level of faith. Pray for your husband. Don't do him in. Let him struggle. God is at work. When will we trust the providential God? He has not resigned. He has not retired. Let that person come through the struggle to his own surprise and his own excitement and his own joy. You know, Friday was my fifth anniversary of my heart attack. It was Friday the 5th. It was Friday the 5th. I got to thinking about the disciples, about Mary coming to the tomb and Peter and John running and Mary running. I thought, I've been walking for five years. It's about time for me to go. And as I pondered throughout the day, what God had done for me, I decided with a new lease on life I needed to do a little skipping and running too. So in the middle of my walk guess what I did? If you've never seen a 58 year old man skipping down the street you would have seen it that that day. And then I ran and as I ran, I was just praising God that I could run. Like Mary, it was a hallelujah run. Thank you for life. Thank you for the empty tomb. Because death would have been all right too. And sometimes when we're excited and thrilled over life and over the life of Jesus that has been passed to us, we, sometimes we run out of sheer joy. And some of you, your life has been arthritically bound. Your heart has got arthritis. There hasn't been much running in your heart. And sometimes we sing our hallelujahs. I want us to sing our hallelujahs this morning. Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. And we've got a hallelujah to sing.